Hello and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Ralph DiBernardo, the owner of Jetpack Comics. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, Jetpack Comics had a pretty integral role in early TMNT days. So I thought it'd be really interesting to talk uh, to Ralph about some stories from the old days. So thanks for being here, Ralph. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm psyched to be here. Um, just so you know, back in the day, um, I had a shop in Portsmouth, New Hampshire called Comic Relief, which is kind of where this all started from. Uh, I oh. got out of comics for a while and then got back in actually starting a publishing company called Jetpack Press, which then spun into my shop for the last 15 years now, Jetpack Comics. Oh, I didn't realize that. Forgive me. So you had, what was the original shop's name? It was called The Comic Relief. The Comic Relief. Cool. And yeah. um, like, wh when did you open that shop? Uh, I opened, I, I opened that, the physical shop in about 83. Okay. Um, prior to that, I've been doing this since I was in junior high school, so literally selling comic books. Uh, I started it in selling to an antique shop that I set up at a flea market, which is where I actually met Kevin and Peter. Um, it, it was 1980s. There were no comic shops in New Hampshire. And somehow I figured out what a comic book distributor was and started getting new comics, started setting up at this flea market and, after high school, it became my shop. Oh, very cool. I didn't know all that. That's great. And how many years did that shop continue until? I got out of it in about 86. Um, so we're in, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, there used to be a, uh, well, there still is there a uh, naval base, and there used to be an Air Force base. And each one of them, had 25,000 plus people. And those were my core customers at my shop in Portsmouth. Okay. And then they announced the closing of them or the decommissioning or downsizing. Um, and again, it was 85% of my customer base suddenly wasn't going to be there. So I got out of it for a while, um, spent some time traveling the country, setting up at Star Trek conventions and then eventually just scrapped the whole comic book thing for a real job for a short period of time. Very cool. I had no idea. Um, well, tell me, when did you first meet uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird? So it would have been at the flea market. It was probably around 1980. Um, do, do you happen to know what the, uh, the date for Gobbledygook was, the original paper copies? Oh gosh, you don't put me on the spot like that. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I can. I can. Uh, maybe I'll retroactively edit this and make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, so they were. They became customers of, of mine at the flea market, and we kind of bonded because they liked indie books. And as I was coming up in the industry, uh, um, indie comics were suddenly coming to light. So like uh, Eclipse and Pacific uh, first comics. And I loved those books. And so did Kevin and Peter um, along with underground stuff. So that's kind of how we uh, connected. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you could explain that era, that was such a different time in comic books, right? Like, Oh, it, it was crazy. When I, when I first started selling comic books, uh, new comics, I just got them from a local magazine distributor. I, I, 
I know that distributors, comic book distributors existed at the time, but a local magazine distributor was just easier to deal with. And there was no difference in the material I was getting. Okay. And then I think about the time um, Marvel might have turned Moon Knight to direct sales only. And DC started launching books like uh, Vigilante, uh, New Teen Titans, and Legion of Superheroes went to direct market only. So then I had to find a distributor to figure out how to get this material. And through that, I started discovering all these alternative publishers and like incredible artists like Dave Stevens, uh, Howard Chaikin, like just works I'd never seen before. And I just fell in love with it. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was like... I don't know if people realize it was like this whole movement of underground comics. I mean, Ninja Turtles was probably the most successful of which, but there was a ton of them at the time, right? Oh, yeah. And, and not even, I, I mean, not underground in the... Uh, Salacious yeah. sense, no, yeah. Right, exactly, yeah. right. It wasn't the adult material. It was, it was edgy, it was hardcore, it was violent. Uh, and I don't mean hardcore by porn, just, <laughs> just stuff that you, you hadn't seen in a normal comic book because at the time just about every comic was rated for all ages. Sure. Oh, yeah, because the code was such so tyrannical at that point, I think, right? It, exactly. And, yeah. and, I mean, the, the code did serve a purpose, and it was, sure. it was great that the, the, that the um, publishers got together and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to control this to keep the government from controlling this. Yeah. So, in the end, it was all the publishers doing the right thing, trying to keep everybody happy. Sure. You know, um, what was it like? I don't remember the very first time you met them, but do you remember what? Uh, well, do you remember the very first time you met them, or you just kind of knew about when Eastman Laird? Yeah, I couldn't. I, I I couldn't really tell you when I first met them. It was. Uh, I'm almost sixty years old now, and that was so long ago. Oh, yeah. Just bits and pieces that I see. Do you uh, remember what they were like? Like, uh, the, you know, you hear a lot about their sort of outwardly contrasting personalities. I'm curious what they were like at that time. So, so at this flea market, you know, we had a block of tables. There were a couple of the people that, that were set up near us and we all got to know them. So we always considered like Kevin was the fun party guy and Peter was the business end of things. Sure. And that is just, that's how we described them every, every time we'd see them. That's cool. <laughs> And like, when did, uh, so you knew them before Turtles by a few years. When did, when did the Turtles start entering the picture from your perspective? So I don't, I don't recall them even talking about the Turtles to us prior to their walking in and handing it to me and saying, could you buy some of these? We need to pay our uncle back. Um, <laughs> So I, I knew they were artists. Um, I had seen Gobbledygook, uh, you know, again, that first paper copy and thought, oh, this, this is cool. They like um, indie books and they're doing something on their own. You know, it was very fanzine-ish. It was just super cool to see that because at the time you didn't see that many comic creators. Sure. So just, just having friends that were doing it was awesome. Uh and then they walked in with that book. And honestly, I can remember flipping through it and being, I'm going to buy this to support my friends. God help me. I'll never make my money back. <laughs> I love it. That's great. 
Um, and it, and it, it was crazy. I, it, it's all, again, it's all blurry because it was so long ago. But at one point, I had 500 copies of this book. And I didn't know what to do with them. I, I mailed them away to people. You know, I was trying to help, uh, help them publicize the book. I cut them up and make advertisements out of them because at the time, computers barely existed. So I'd have to cut them and photocopy them and make my advertisements, um, send them to newspapers. Uh, I, I just had boxes of them and no idea what to do. <laughs> I didn't realize they had that you'd had the 500 boxes so early on. Like, it must have been like, what am I ever going to do with these? It, I, I think at one point I had described it as it's, it's the biggest check I ever wrote uh, for comic books at the time hmm. and just had no idea how I was going to recoup that money. <laughs> um, let's see here. Now, do you, you said you cut a lot of them up and all that. Do you know how many, like, uh, how, like how well did it sell in the store? I don't know any number, but like, how well did it do? So it, it did sell good. Uh, the, the problem was, I mean, they were very aggressive in, in selling their books. So like you could walk into, uh, into a Hallmark store, a convenience store, uh, a, a pet supply store in kind of our Tri-City area. And you would see copies of this book for sale. <laughs> so while I did sell it okay, um, their aggressive marketing kind of uh, tamped my sales down. Sure, and and of course, you know, and of course, they were friends, and I wanted them to be successful, so it wasn't a big deal. It was just funny how if I if I took a pile of them to a convention in Boston, I would sell through them, but sure. in my local area, they they just didn't move. I see. <laughs> um, let's see here. Now, did you eventually sell all 500 copies? So, so at the time, again, no internet, uh, no computers really to speak of. So all of our um, buying and selling outside of the shop was done through a magazine called the Comics Buyer's Guide. Okay, sure. Um, so when I had gone forward and opened my store, I was pretty aggressive with buying um, indie books. Okay. You know, I wanted to be known for that. Um, so I had 100 plus copies of, uh, I think, uh, Albedo number two. Is that the first Yusagi Ojimbo? Okay. Um, and I took an ad out in the buyer's guide selling those along with the Turtles book. And suddenly they started moving. Hmm. Um, you just got swamped with orders for them. But Bill Willingham, who did uh, Fables, okay, um, he was launching a book with Comico at the time called Elementals. And this was the big hot book of the time. And I got contacted by a company out of Pennsylvania that wanted to trade my turtles from me for copies of Elementals. And at the time, it seemed like a brilliant idea. And I was like all for it. And probably two weeks after I sold those to him, suddenly he had started having ads in Marvel Comics. And now this book was $150. Oh, my God. And a couple months later, it was $250. And here I am scrambling to find any copies I can find. In the meantime, my copies of Elementals are 
sink in like lead. Oh, God. <laughs> when did you start to get the idea that this was going to be successful? About the time, so about the time that those ads started launching and people started coming out of the woodwork looking for this book, um, I was like, wow, this this is incredible. But in a million years, I never would have seen it going as far as it did. I mean, right. looking looking at your setup behind you, and I'm like, oh, yeah. oh my God. Those, <laughs> you know, what they created was so unique and it's so well-known and the idea that I know the guys that did it, it blows me away. <laughs> what was it like during, uh, I mean, I'm curious what it was like for you during the sort of height of Turtle Mania with the cartoon and the movie and everything. Like, what was it? Well, so about, the, about just before they came out with the second issue, they oh, had yeah. moved to sure. Connecticut. Sure. Um, and from Connecticut, they moved to Northampton. And so we really lost touch. Like, I was in touch with their studio getting books from them you know so like they're on this incredible upswing and it probably sounds unfair to say they didn't have time for me but i mean you know suddenly they're just in this incredible business you know hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars coming their way um i ended up seeing them again after you know about the error edition for issue number three? No, please tell me. Okay, so for the third issue, um, they were doing a convention in New York, and then they were coming back to New Hampshire to do another convention with me. And at the, the way the book was printed, um, the cover was basically run through a printing press twice to get both to get the color variation. Okay. So the so issue number three, there's about 500 copies that are just a single color of blue. Oh. And the way you can um, uh, distinguish them is if you look on it, there's you can see uh, Laird's photo is a building in the background. And if that logo is in white, that is one of what we call the error edition of number three. Okay. The... Um, the regular, uh, I mean, newsstand doesn't really make sense, but the, the mass market edition of it has, that will be in light blue. Okay. Kind of, so, um, so around that third issue, uh, they had come back, they had taken this issue to New York, sold a bunch there, and they came to New Hampshire and sold a bunch with me at a second convention for issue three. Um, and that was probably one of the last times I was really in touch with them for years. Okay. I, I, I missed a part of the story there. You said that you, I remember you telling me before we spoke that uh, you uh, held the first con where the, the comic book premiered. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. So that was. Um, oh, boy, I can't remember the date off the top of my head. That's okay. And I was the guy that and I was the guy that ran it. I guess um, it was 84, right? It must have been 84. Yes. Yep. Uh, May 5th or May 2nd. I have. I have to write all this stuff down now because I'm That's old and forget point. stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, so about I don't know the actual date that they released that first issue. Okay, but I had planned a comic book convention in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. First, basically the first convention that New Hampshire had ever had. Uh, and it was just a small thing, and I had gotten in touch with creators 
uh, in Connecticut. Um, people that I don't believe they're still in the industry anymore, but at the time it was just important to me to get creators. Sure. Um, so Kevin and Peter wanted to premiere their book at my convention and you know, short sighted me. I was like, sure. And they paid me for a table at the convention. They actually took out um, a full page ad in the comics buyer's guide promoting the convention and the premiere of their book, which um, I know you could find it online all over the place, the advertisement for it. I think which, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. It still has, still has like the original phone number for my store. Employed yes. Yeah, I've seen there. That. I know the exact um, what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so almost ironic that I made these two guys pay for a table at my little tiny convention. And then, you know, <laughs> 25 years later, it's, you know, they've become icons. Sure. <laughs> what was the response like at the convention? Did they like, was it flying off the shelves or was it just, you know, they did sell a lot of them. Um, sure. A lot of the dealers were smart and bought speculatively. Sure. Uh, one, one of the dealers that set up there is uh, still a friend of mine and he still has 10 copies of it. Um, he just had one graded at a 9.8. Oh, wow. That a year ago, he would have been willing to sell for $100,000. And I think now he could probably get 250 plus for it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it sold well on a speculative level. Um, the response was kind of like people didn't know how to take it because you know because again it was the Daredevil spoof. Oh yeah, at the time, um, and of course you know we were all in love with Frank Miller and everything that he did. So some people looked at it as an insult to Frank Miller, and other people took uh -huh. it as homage. Sure. Oh, interesting. Um, do you have any copies yourself of it? Of the first one? No. No? I don't. I wish. <laughs> of course I wish I did. <laughs> um, so uh, a few years ago, um, after Kevin and I reconnected, after um, he hooked up with IDW, mm -hmm. uh, he came back to New Hampshire to do a uh, free comic book day with me. And the gentleman that I told you that has 10 copies still, uh, he donated a copy for us to auction off and give to charity, which was super cool. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I think it was graded at a 9.6. And at the time it sold for like $5,500, oh. uh, which was just, you know, back then I was like, wow, I can't believe it went for this much money. And nowadays it's like, wow, I can't believe we only got that much for it. <laughs> yeah. You can buy a house with it now. It's crazy. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, let's see here. What did I want to ask you about? Oh, uh, so uh, now you, you've gotten to know a few of the other Mirage guys over the years, right? Oh yeah. They're, they're all such awesome guys. I just, just was hanging out with Steve Levine last week. Um, he's working on an Archie cover for us. Um, just the nicest guy in the world. I've worked with Jim Lawson and I mean, almost all of them have come and done cons with me over the years, but those those two I'm in touch with on a regular basis. They're both good guys. I met Lawson and I had Levine on the podcast and hung out with him a bit at, uh, at Granite Con. And he's just like such a cool, fun guy, Levine. He's great. Yep. <laughs> um, what did I want to ask you? Oh, so uh, talk about uh, when, when Jetpack opened. 
so well it's like i said before so i got out of comics for a while uh and yeah. the real world and ended up in the restaurant business for 15 long years okay um at the last restaurant I ended up working at, there was a used bookstore in the same plaza that also sold comic books. So I started working there part-time, mostly, um, basically I walked in and I saw the first issue of Ultimate Spider-Man number one. Okay. Um, and I bought it and I hadn't been reading comic books at all. And I bought it and I read it and I fell in love with it. And it just, it just got me fully back into the industry. Um, so I started working part-time there, just helping them out with eBay and online sales and stuff. Eventually, I transitioned into managing the store and getting out of the restaurant business, which was the greatest thing I ever did. Um, and after about five years there, um, they got priced out of the plaza we were in. Okay. So, um, I mean, just, just a very small business, a couple of employees. And their rent went from twenty five hundred dollars a month to four grand a month, and the owner just finally said, "Yeah, I just can't can't keep doing this." So I asked him if um, if he would mind if I opened a shop. And so this this plaza was probably fifteen miles from where I'm located now. I figured I'd go rural where I could have inexpensive rent. He let me have the mailing list, and basically I just transitioned all my all of those customers to my store oh, and it started cool. out in a very small location and just barely getting by and eventually built it into what we have now. Um, now I wanted to kind of get the, uh, I was curious about some of the geography of this. So I know turtles was born in Dover. Where was yep. your original comic shop? Dover, New Hampshire. Dover, New Hampshire is where, where they were from. Right. My, uh, so the flea market that I started at where I met them was 20 miles south of there, um, mm. just near Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Okay. My, my shop, I opened in Portsmouth in the 80s. Um, and now, now I've gone inland 30 miles from Portsmouth to Rochester. And Portsmouth is where they had that turtle con in 91. Am I right? At the, yeah. At the Sheraton hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I have a shirt from that. I was too young. to. I mean, I was, I was around, but I didn't know, you know, I was like five. Um, I have a shirt from, from that, that was on Peter's website for a long time. So I know, I know about the Portsmouth, the Portsmouth turtle con. So that that's awesome. I used to know a guy um, that worked for the distributor uh, capital city distribution. Okay. They had a warehouse in Connecticut and he had um, one of the giant life-size turtle. I, I call it a puppet, but that seems disingenuous to it. Um, that had been at that uh, convention in Portsmouth. Oh, very cool. And you were also, I, I wanted to hear this story. You were at the uh, opening of Shellback Artworks for Steve Levine's shop. Oh, Yeah. That, that was so awesome. I was so happy for him uh, to see him doing it. And um, so my wife and I took a ride up and, and uh, Peter was there. Uh, I, I think my wife and I were walking in and Peter and his wife were coming out the door just to get some air. I mean, there was, it was mobbed lines of people waiting to get in. Um, and I had never met Peter's wife before. And 
he introduced us and, and she gave me a big hug and called me, you know, the Ralph DiBernardo, which is, <laughs> which is really weird because other than being a guy that rented a room and helped my friends promote their book, like I, it's funny to look back and, and think that I have a little part of their, I'm a part of their history. Oh yeah. But I also feel like it, I'm, <laughs> I'm not worthy of it. I, like the recognition I get, it just uh, it blows me away. I mean, I know that, like you know, uh, as a as a writer myself, and having people that like encourage you and believe in you is a big deal. Uh, and um, so I, I knew you. I, I was excited to reach out to you and talk to you because, like, that's you are an important part of the story. So I think that's that was <laughs> you no know, exciting. It's never felt that way. It's just <laughs> it's always just been you know. I, I helped my friends. That was cool. Sure. When you, uh, I don't know if you were, how much you kept up with the turtle mania. There was the cartoons, the movies. Did you like see the movie when it came out? I did see the first movie um, and was disappointed. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know, so the turtles that I loved were those original issues. They, sure. they were gritty that, you know, they were, um, it, it didn't come across in, in the Mirage books as like tongue in cheek, right. You know, fun humor kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was what I fell up with. I mean, it was the, kind of them emulating the, uh, the indie books that I love. Sure. Uh, so, so I was disappointed in, I wanted mature turtles. No, oh, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people. Still yeah. Like I, 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 and I'm guessing the original cartoon was like, cause that was, a much even further I've departure. I've never <laughs> seen an episode. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, there's still a lot of people like, and I, I, I love the early Mirage books, but I also love the silly, goofy stuff. But there's a huge part of the Turtle fan base that's still like Mirage all the way. And they, they want to see that, uh, you know, adapted in a more faithful way and um, more of that kind of stuff. We get a little bit of it now with Last Ronin, which is really cool. Yep. Seems like a return to that kind of era, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, again, there's a there's a place for all of it. Like yeah. I I appreciate it. Um, you know, it, when I really think about it, I'm always in awe of how much they accomplished and and just what a big thing Turtles is in so many people's lives now. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a place for all of it too. Like like you know, it's just become part of the the culture where there's different versions for different people i mean like you know you can respect both frank miller and adam west and you know as far as batman goes you know yep. So, yep. like just different people different parts of it appeal to different people so uh I, 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 we were talking about new hampshire um and uh, you were interviewed i think a year or so ago maybe a little longer now because they're putting a a marker in dover of uh do you know what they're this? trying to? Yeah, okay, I don't know if it's made it yet. I was going to ask you if it's up yet or anything. If you know, no, it's not. It's. I think it's really hung up in um, the Viacom Nickelodeon world right now. Okay, I mean, you know, it. It is in the end, it, it's an intellectual property that somebody owns that needs to be compensated sure. Sure, sure. fairly. Um, and I don't think anybody has worked out the details. My suggestion to them had been to just do the manhole cover 
with just a turtle shell, we're all going to know what it means. And then you could step away from worrying about sure. the whole Viacom, Viacom aspect of it. But so far, I don't think anything has progressed. Yeah, they're supposed to, uh, I, I, if you can Google it, and, uh, and, and for those who aren't sure what we're talking about, um, they were going to put a historical marker saying this was like the birthplace of the turtles. And it was just going to be a manhole cover, which is pretty cool. Because so, the building that they were in and created it is is no more. Is no more, correct. Yeah. Uh, somebody, when when they first proposed it, somebody uh, suggested it will be the most stolen item from the city of Dover forever. <laughs> That's probably true, yeah. <laughs> Every month, the man right. will just be missing. <laughs> yep. That's great. And you've got a lot of cool, like, exclusive covers in the past few years through IDW, right? I have, yep. Um when IDW announced they had gotten the turtle license, and then when I saw that Kevin was going to be attached to it, I was like, I am totally on board for this. Um, oh, yeah. So, like, for the first... Oh, was that? It's great comic. I love oh. that comic. Yeah. For the first issue... Um, so, for the shop that I used to work for, uh, it was called the Paperback Bazaar. Okay. And at one time we had put on a convention in Portsmouth and Peter and a bunch of the guys came to it and they let me do a reprint of the first issue, which I, you might've seen. It's a uh, black and white cover. It's called the PBBZ small press edition or something like that. Um, but it was a, basically it was a Peter's recreation of the original turtles cover, but just with his artwork. Okay. So I would fall in love with that. And so when I had the opportunity to get my own cover for the first issue of the IDW run, I asked if I could use that cover, but I wanted it to be in the classic red. Mm, that's cool. Then, then for the second issue, I found another image that I loved and asked for it to be in the blue. So I did like the first four issues with covers in the color of the original four issues. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. And you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a few years ago was the first time it, it was uh, at your shop was when Peter and, and Kevin reunited for the first time in like 25 years or so? Yep. So um, so I mentioned before, Kevin had come and done a free comic book day event for us. Yeah. Then a couple of years later, he proposed to me, he said, hey, let me reach out to Peter and see if we can get together and we'll do it at your shop on free comic book day. And it was crazy. Wow. Um, uh, again, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. It, the, the fact that they came and did this for me at in Rochester, New Hampshire, it just blew me away. I think we had just shy of 8,000 people show up for this event. Wow. Um, people, you know, like the line wrapping around this huge building and people trying to sneak in. I had to have, have the police come and throw, throw people out. It, <laughs> it, it was it. insane, it, but it was so cool. That's great. What was it? And what did it, I mean, uh, what was it like? I, how did they, I don't know. What was the reaction to them seeing each other or, or had they met, reunited prior to that moment? No, they hadn't seen each other at all. And it was, uh, you know, it was hugs and handshakes. I mean, it'd been a long time. So, it's kind of one of those things, you know, what do you say to somebody you haven't seen in 25 years? Yeah. How's life? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but it was cool. And they sat next to each other. And then uh, you must have seen the documentary 
where they're in front of the location where the house used to be. Yes, I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, the Turtle Power. Um, no, uh, what was the name of that documentary? I know what you're talking about. Yes, I did. I can't think of the name of it, but so those guys came and they filmed at Jetpack a little bit and then went with Kevin and Peter after free con- after the event was over to Dover to film uh, that sequence of them standing by that lot. Tur- it was a Turtle Power documentary. I don't want to discount them yeah it was the the, the, which came out which i'll know uh not to discredit anybody else but that did happen a a couple years before uh toys that made us which also reunited kevin a couple years and and peter a couple years after that (laughs) yes i always wondered if uh i always wondered why that they hadn't no one had to acknowledge that they had actually reunited prior yeah because it kind of plays off like this is the first time they've seen each other it's like well they're not super tight, but they did many. Like this had happened a couple years prior. In, in right, there. exactly. Um, you know, uh, my last thing I wanted to ask you um, was, uh, who's your favorite turtle? <laughs> my Raph is my favorite, but only because for years I told people that um, they had named Raphael after me. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> So I, so I played that for I played that card for a long time, but that's just a complete lie. <laughs> I love it. Honestly, I want to. Uh, last thing I want to do is give a good plug to Jetpack Comics. Uh, where can we find it? Can we buy stuff online? Tell us all about it. Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, we're mostly a retail store. We do have a web presence. Um, we're we're small, so like we manage most of our stuff for ourselves. You know, we have an Amazon store, an eBay store. Um, but if, if the easiest way, if you're looking for something and you don't see it on our site, just drop us an email. It's generally me that answers every email. I can attest to that, so, which is how you get <laughs> here. So I, again, Ralph, it was a huge pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for doing this. It, I, I, again, I, I really appreciate it because you are an important part of the story. So, Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it, too. Take care. You, too. Bye-bye. Machine. That's a fact, Jack. Raphael is cool, but rude. Give me a break.